0: Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Wow, what an honor it is. I'm going to raise this a little. I hope that that's... Okay, I'm not sure. (laughs) Okay, good. What an honor it is to see so many of you and be with you to lift up the name of God, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, together with you this morning. Uh, As was so truly said uh, during the Lord's Supper, just a few hours ago in Antalya, Turkey, the church gathered and partook in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, remembering his sacrifice for them. And many of the people who are there are there as consequential fruit of your giving as a church, of your being involved in foreign mission. And uh, it's my honor to report not just of the good work that is going on, but to let you know that you, uh, much like the church in Colossae, when Paul wrote to them in Colossians 1, verse 6, and said, all over the world the gospel is constantly bearing fruit and growing. Is, this is growth that is the result of watering that you're doing all the way here in Clifton, Texas, on the other side of the world. Uh, When we drove into Fort Worth, we stayed one night with a good friend of ours who actually had lived in Turkey for a while in the Fort Worth area. Now they they live there. Five children have all grown. Uh, Many of them have gone to ACU. Uh, They have one at home who's finishing up her high school year. But we drove in and we, we spent the night with them and we talked a little and I found out as we were driving in, it was pouring rain. Uh, which seemed normal, because when we drove, flew into Atlanta and began our journey around the United States, it's rained everywhere we went. Um, but So I didn't think anything of it until we got to their home, and they said, Yeah, my, uh, uh, Deanne, who's the mother, said, um, My mother-in-law tells me that this is the first rain that we've had in 145 days. A- and I said, Wow, that is, that is a lot of days without rain it's not unusual where we live to go about that many days without rain but then we go most of the winter season with lots of rain Uh, and i remember one day i was getting out of the rain totally soaked into our apartment building and getting into the elevator and i was like yeah unfortunately it's raining again i said this to my neighbor and my neighbor said unfortunately he said all the farmers around here are really (laughs) thankful that it's raining and, uh, and I said, oh yeah, I forgot. There's a whole other group of people who, who look for rain and want rain. Uh, it is actually those kinds of people to whom uh, the verse says that God sends the early and the late rains. And um, really, I think that rain is a good analogy uh, for why we do and what motivates cross-cultural missions. But before I can really talk about the context that we're in in Turkey, I need to give you guys a pop quiz. Let's see, here we go, all about Turkey. I'm going to throw up some questions up here, and if you get all of them right, it's multiple choice, don't worry, there will be options. If you get all of them right, you can come to me after the service, and uh, maybe I'll give you a bookmark from Turkey or something. (laughs) But uh, it's the honor system, so if you don't get them all right, which I I don't know that anyone will get them all right, but uh, you can... Uh, you can grade yourself. So here we go. Turkey trivia. Uh, which famous Christians weren't born in Turkey? You have Stephen the martyr. You have Timothy, First and Second Timothy. You have the Apostle Paul. You have St. Nicholas. You have the Apostle Peter and Luke. Uh, it could be more than one of these. But which ones weren't born in Turkey? Do you know? There you go. You Stephen the martyr and the Apostle Peter. Uh, the others all were, were born somewhere in what is now, now called Turkey. At that point, it was called Pamphylia, or, you know, there's the city of Tarsus. Um, here, the capital of Turkey is Constantinople, Istanbul, Izmir, stuffing, <laughs> Athens, or Ankara. I know that some of you have been to the capital, so I know you'll know the answer. It is Ankara. <laughs> the population of Turkey is 20 million, 63 million, 9 million, 300 million, 81 million, or 1 billion. It's not a billion, I promise you. It is 81 million. <laughs> the most popular sport in Turkey is oil wrestling, camel wrestling. These are real sports. I'm not they're making them up. I've watched them on television in Turkey. Basketball, hockey, gymnastics, or soccer? I can hear you saying it out there. That's right, soccer. What is this called? A Muslim church, the Hagia Sophia, the Blue Mosque, Sultan Ahmed. Uh, What else do I have written up there? Missile silos or (laughs) minarets. The answers could be C or D. The Blue Mosque or Sultan Ahmed. This, this mosque was built to distract people from losses that the Ottoman king, Sultan Ahmed was taking at the time of his reign. And so he said, I'm not a very good military leader, but I can be a strong religious leader. And so he built this giant mosque to rival the Hagia Sophia, the church of holy wisdom that sits just opposite it in Istanbul. Who is this? Man. If you, asked, if you asked Turkish kids who this was, uh, they would be yelling it out. They know who it is. It's not George Clooney. <laughs> it's Mustafa Kemal Ataturk. This man is considered the savior of modern Turkey. And uh, we'll talk about him a little bit more in a few minutes. What is this called in Turkey? Is it called Turkey? Tasty? Indian? Uh, Greece? Big bird? American bird, or American tree or turkey. It is actually called Indian. That's what we call it, Hindi, which means Indian in Turkish. What percentage of the population is Christian in Turkey? Uh, It is this one right here. Yes. There's about 25,000 known Christians in a country of 80 million. If you do the math, it comes out to about 81 million. It comes out to about that number there. Uh, for how long has Turkey, was Turkey the center of a Christian empire before it became Muslim? Do you know? It was about 1,100 years that the Byzantine Empire existed, the Christian Empire, from the time of, of the Apostle Paul and all the way up to, um, to the time in 1435 when it was taken over by uh, the Seljuk invaders and Feti the Conqueror. How many members does the Antalya Church have? It has roughly 300 members, uh, and I think the national drink of Turkey is it black tea, coffee. Uh, what did I have? Vodka, wine, <laughs> Coca-Cola, green tea. It is black tea. Uh, the The average Turkish male will drink six cups of black tea every day. This is uh, they are they're ranked as one of the highest tea consumers in the world. Uh, even higher than China uh, because of the amount of tea that they drink on a daily basis. They love their tea. Inflation in Turkey in 2022 was 9%, 110%, 80%, 2%. What do you think it was? It, just for reference, I think it was about 8 or 9% in the United States this year. Uh, it was 80% in Turkey this year. And, and that's the the end. How many of you, right, by show of hands, how many of you were able to answer all of them correctly? I, that's not fair. I I, <laughs> I went over this with you earlier, <laughs> so so it's not important that we know these things, but. It is helpful, as I now share about the context of Turkey a little bit, that you know some of those facts, that we're placed with very few Christians. Uh, it's a growing church that we have. It's an exciting work. And every year we see more and more added to our number. Uh, but why do we go all the way across the world to another country and share the word of God with people Uh, who are so far away and really have no connection with us. Why was it that Paul did that when he left his home and traveled around the world? What is it that motivates us? And and I think that we can look back at Paul's first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 and see uh, some of the most crucial points uh, of what leads people, what leads evangelists, what leads men of God to go from their home countries to cultures and places that are not their own to share. Uh, for Paul, it was a very specific calling, and that calling uh, was one that he received on the road to Damascus. It was a calling that was going to give, bring suffering for his life, and it was one uh, that ultimately led him uh, to imprisonment and possibly even execution. In Acts 13, 36-39, after Paul is given his first great missionary speech, Uh, we see he comes to the end and he talks about a hero, a hero of the people who he was preaching to. He says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, was laid among his fathers, and underwent decay. But he, whom God raised, Jesus Christ, did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So he sits there and he brings up the hero, the savior of Israel in the minds of the Jewish people who were living in that area. Paul has not yet begun cross-cultural ministry on his missionary journey. At this point, He is actually visiting a synagogue. He's speaking to his own countrymen who are a diaspora, who are spread out, much like the Ukrainians are becoming right now because of the war. They're spreading out all over the face of the earth, going places where they're being invited, uh, whether it be in Europe or the United States or even in Turkey. There are thousands of Ukrainian refugees in the city where we live. They're spreading out, and the Israelites did that because they had been under occupation for a long time. They had been occupied by Rome, and before that they had been occupied uh, by the Greeks and by the Persians and by the Babylonians and the Medes. And and as history goes back, they were occupied, it seemed like, ever since uh, the time of David. So the last great savior, the last great dynasty over the Israelite people was David. Much like the most recent savior of Turkey, just a hundred years ago, helped them push back invaders in turkey and so if you ask a turkish child who is the a world hero who is who represents uh you know the epitome of great salvation in turkey uh, every turkish child will tell you this child in fact funny story my ch- my child zoe after going to turkish school for just two years we were in washington dc last time we were in the united states 2018 visiting some turkish friends there and we went down to where you have the Washington Monument, and by the Washington Monument, you have several war memorials. You have World War I and World War II and the, and the Vietnam War, and these memorials are all there in memory of people who had lost their lives, who fought valiantly uh, to stop wars and to, to be able to bring end to conflicts. And as we're sitting at the World War I memorial, my daughter, who at the time was only six years old, seven years old, seven years old, I think, said to us, if Ataturk had been here, None of this would've had to happen. <laughs> that's what she said. So that's what she said. So obviously at a very young age, they're taught to revere and love and value this man, who did uh, hold together a, a falling apart and decaying empire, which was the Ottoman Empire. At the end of that time, he was able to keep what is now known as Turkey uh, from, from really going into a lot of different divided factions. And so uh, there was some importance to him. And, and though I would not call him a godly man, Uh, There is a progression of men and people's lives who allow themselves to be used by God. Uh, And that progression is you serve God in your own generation. Uh, that's, That's the hope of all of us is that we will serve God in our own generation. That we fall asleep and we join our ancestors. And that our bodies decay. This is the understood natural way of life. Nobody around you is going to say if they're a godly person i'm not going to die my body is not going to see decay even paul when he writes in second corinthians to the church in corinth he says outwardly we are wasting away though inwardly we are renewed day by day Uh, so the decay is something we can expect the devaluation of currency in turkey is something that i can expect inflation is going to happen Uh, you know, houses are going to fall apart. In spite of all of this decay, what gives us hope? Where is our joy? Where do you see decay? Every time we're uh, inviting people to Turkey, we take them usually out to uh, the place where this sermon was preached in in this region right here, just north of this city in Pisidian Antioch. Uh, This city right here is Perga, where Paul likely preached a similar sermon. Uh, You go, though, and you walk through the ruins and you see that that there were churches in the fourth century, in the sixth century, that this city was a bustling metropolitan, and now it's just ruins, just ruins. And if it weren't for the restoration work of a few tour guides who pull their money together and buy some columns, the columns wouldn't even be standing. Uh, And so they've gone and and people have put a lot of effort into trying to restore just a minimal amount. I know it's a dark picture uh, of the ruins there. If you come and visit us, we'll take you there. And you can see it firsthand. But the ruin and decay is a sign that God is still supreme. When we, when we think about our own, uh, our own human nature, the fact that we will be buried one day, that we will fall asleep and join our ancestors, uh, that should give us pause and encourage us to cling to God more firmly. That's what Paul said. In fact, he said that because we did this, because even David, your superhero of a king, died, saw decay, joined his ancestors, there there is one person in all of history who has not done that, and that is Jesus. Because he did not decay, God raised him to life. He does not decay, is not sleeping, And serves God through all generations. And for Paul that was enough that he would tell all of his countrymen that message. And hope that they would believe. You would think that they would have all joined. And there was great response to Paul and Barnabas and Pisidian Antioch. So much so that as we look at the next verses. We're going to see that uh, the next Sabbath, the next Saturday. Nearly the whole city came to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews, when those who were in the synagogue and the leaders of the Jews, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul. They were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said this, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiated it and judge yourselves unworthy, of eternal life behold we are turning now to the Gentiles for so the Lord has commanded us I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth so we see here a paradigm shift for Paul and Barnabas they were going they were hitting up all of the churches they were sharing God's word they were not only sharing God's word they were bringing great news the thing that you've been hoping and praying for has happened they're saying And they are telling them, this is it. The Savior has come to the world. And they received great fanfare. Uh, People wanted to come. So much so that almost the whole city. Could you imagine the whole city of Clifton gathering in one place to hear uh, a sermon and to hear the news? It must have been an amazing time with regards to speaking as an evangelist. But at the same time it must have been very discouraging for the people last week who seemed to receive your message to come and to begin to argue with you because they were jealous in their hearts that you were being successful sometimes we feel like that's the opposition we face in turkey if you're not successful it's really hard to find the opposition (laughs) if you're not bringing people to the lord uh if you're not seeing crowds gathered It doesn't cause any concern in the hearts of opposition. They don't care about you. You can stay in your house and not be affecting the community around you. And people are pretty happy to leave you alone. Satan's pretty happy to leave you alone. The time you start feeling the opposition, you can be pretty sure that God is using you in a powerful way in your community, in your home, in your family. Especially if you're doing good and you're facing opposition. If you're not doing good. Uh, Then all of that goes out the window. This year, we felt like we were facing some opposition. This uh, is a crowd of Christians gathered in downtown Antalya, Right next to one of the largest malls is the civil uh, mayor's building. Let's call it the mayor's building the municipality, and that's not where we were supposed to meet on Easter Sunday, but that's where we ended up meeting this Easter. This Easter we were supposed to be in a really nice salon, in fact, I showed a picture during the class time of this theater that we normally meet in, and that theater we booked three months in advance. Uh, which is a normal amount of time that's not real late that's actually about the right amount of time to book something in turkey i mean that's really early by turkish standards by turkish standards the week before is a good time to book something but uh uh but for for us it was really good we got it in on the books on the calendar and had paid our deposit and about two weeks after we'd put up billboards around the city, after we'd paid and, and handed out 10,000 flyers inviting people to this location, we got a call from the mayor's office uh, saying, I'm sorry, we've double booked and we're bumping you guys. That's what they said. And uh, we were praying in our leaders' meeting the week that we found out and we had already gone back and forth with them and the best they could offer is to bus us to a whole other facility somewhere and, and that really wasn't gonna work because we'd already spent all of our advertising budget on getting people to this location and uh, at one point uh, one of the leaders was so frustrated that he wrote to the speaker for the other engagement and said if uh, and he was frustrated and made a mistake. He wrote, if we were Muslims, this wouldn't happen. This is clearly because, you know, we're Christians. He wrote that to the person. And then that person posted it, not knowing anything about the double booking because they were not involved in booking the thing, posted that information somewhere else. I, that, I say that not because that was a good response. In fact, all of the rest of us are like, we wish you hadn't said that. Now we've got to go apologize to a lot of people. But um, in order to, to – I share that so that you understand – how the Turkish Christian feels when something like that happens, the opposition that they feel. The, the obvious logical jump for them is, it's because we're Christians that this is happening. And it may be true, but it certainly can't be proven, and never would there be anything overtly said. Uh, about that in that situation so they face hidden opposition at times much like many of us most of us the the enemy doesn't oppose us to our face very often uh... but we feel it in our hearts we feel it in our minds and sometimes it keeps us up at nights. It causes us to say things like if we were muslims this wouldn't happen you know to to our muslim neighbors or if i was not a christian i wouldn't be focused and, and picked out to be picked on in this way. Uh, in the same way, Paul and Barnabas felt picked on. They said, we're being successful. We're sharing the good news of Christ. And Christ actually said that's something that you should be proud of. And they were proud of it. And they saw it as a time for a paradigm shift. They said, okay, no longer are we just preaching to our own people. We're going to start preaching cross-culturally to people, the Gentiles. Uh, and they used this verse from, from Isaiah uh, that that says, uh, just earlier we see at the bottom, that uh, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Uh, that is ultimately the goal of mission work, to bring the gospel to the end of the earth. Why do we do it? Well, co- cross-cultural mission is an answer to local jealousy. If you're starting to face opposition where you are in the context that you are, if people don't want to have anything to do with God's word, maybe it's time for you to find a new location to continue to share God's goodness. And it may not be, as Steve pointed out, it may not be preaching and speaking. If you're a preacher or an evangelist, that is what it is. But for most of you, it may be the way you're living. If you're not being uh, uh, welcomed in the area you are by the way you are living, Maybe it's time for your life to shine to another portion and demographic of society. There's an answer to local hostility towards the gospel. Missions is definitely that. That's what we see happen in Jerusalem. There was hostility towards the message, and people were scattered all over the face of the earth. And that's how missions began uh, to move from Jerusalem, uh, from Judea, into uh, all of the world in Samaria. A judgment on those unwilling to agree. Paul says that because they didn't believe the message, that 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 was judgment on them already, that they had judged themselves unworthy of receiving eternal life. It's a natural progression of the gospel. In places where we go and see, we'll reach a point where people have received, and then those who are in opposition uh, will become evident, and we move on to another area. Maybe in our town, maybe in our social circles. God's global vision moves forward in this way. Sometimes it can feel like we've had 140 days of no rain, and sometimes there are days like uh, the beginning of June, June 12th this year, we saw... 18 people baptized, 17 people baptized, Um, people who've been studying through the time period of the pandemic, and when things finally opened up, we all got together and had this big celebration. One of my favorite stories is this one here, because the young man is hugging his mother there as she comes out of the waters of baptism. Uh, He is one of our um, youth interns, you could call him, like a youth intern. He's been working with us for six months now, but he uh, came to faith maybe seven years ago and for seven years he's been sharing slowly the good news with his mother and his mother wasn't really interested for a long time and so he'd wait and pray honestly it's been about 12 years since I first met him I met him on the basketball court this young man uh, at the time that I met him was just finishing up a period of time kinda like juvenile hall where he had been having to meet with his parole officer because he had gotten in a physical altercation with his uncle uh, out in the street and so it had come to blows he ended up uh, being prosecuted and then served a period of time of community service And, and uh, but, but I met him then and he came and played basketball with us uh, with some of the young guys in the youth group at the time And uh, he lived in a neighborhood where several Christian people were there. And he started developing friendships with them. At the same time, as he he continued to live his life with a gang, uh, his friends from school who were like a bike gang. And and, uh, after time passed, he started spending more time with us at the church and less time with the gang until finally, although he still knew all those guys, he really only spent time with us. And then about seven years ago, he was baptized and uh, has continued to study And um, we've encouraged him. In Turkey, you're supposed to do military service. Uh, Every young man is supposed to do military service, and it ends up being a really interesting cultural situation where young men usually put it off as long as they can. Uh, He's still putting it off. In fact, he's putting it off in a way that is unhealthy. He's gained a lot of weight so that he can physically not be fit to do military service. So uh, he just has one more inspection before they'll just deem him unworthy for the rest of his life, I think. Um, But we pray for him because he's... Uh, that's always a concern serving in the military in turkey is different they don't have the same ideological backgrounds that we might have in the states and so uh, oftentimes you find yourselves fighting people who are terrorists to the state who you don't really have any animosity towards Uh, turkey has been in a constant war with uh, different groups out in eastern turkey for a long time and so to avoid that he's done that but his mom during the pandemic and seeing all of his struggles and yet seeing the peace that he had nonetheless despite all of his obstacles, saw in him the peace of God. And she started asking, what is it that gives you peace? Even in the midst of trying to avoid this military service, even in the midst of the pandemic and not having work, and not having a really high level of education, why is it that you have peace? And he started to be able to share about his faith with his mother, and she was open, finally. Like waiting 140 days for rain, it started to fall. And there wasn't a dry eye in the congregation that day as she came out of the water and they embraced because we knew that this was God's faithfulness. This was God turning hearts towards him from the nations and bringing them, drawing them to the light of his son Jesus that is in all of us who profess his name. In Isaiah 49, 6, he says, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Actually, there's a broader context in there. He says, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up just the tribe of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. That's not enough. He says, on top of that, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's not enough that you here at Clifton just be representatives of Christ in Clifton. And, and that's what has driven and motivated you as a church to give and to send and to be about God's work throughout the world. That's what motivates missions. That it's too small for just me to be saved. Heaven is, is it's too small of a task for just me to be saved. I want everybody to be saved. I want god to be known throughout the nations it continues on in verse 7 says thus says the lord the redeemer of israel and its holy one to the despised one the ones who are abhorred by the nation to the servant of rulers kings will see and rise princes will also bow down because of the lord who is faithful the holy one of israel who has chosen you so are we ready to set aside our affiliations in the here and now, in the locales that we live, so that we can have and see the princes bow down to the message of Jesus Christ, the one who died for all the nations, so that we might be a light for him. That's the mission and goal of these men, the leaders of the Turkish church in Antalya. Uh, They live this out much as you do here in your locales they live there i love coming back to clifton and seeing the faithful witnesses of the families who are here standing up and sharing about the youth group leading worship praising god praying for the nations and raising up children to do the same that is your calling and at the same time you partner with us much like the churches in the time of paul partnered with paul to send him places that he might proclaim this good news And in so doing, you're watering, you're irrigating places that are dry, and you're being part of God's great plan for salvation. Thank you so much. Will you pray with me, uh, not just for the church uh, in Turkey, but for the church around the world? And will you continue to pray for them throughout your lives? Father God, we thank you that you are a God of all people, that you created us, and that Uh, Because some people were jealous, we as non-Jews now are able to be part of your kingdom. That we are able to be part of the the chosen remnant who who live here uh, on this earth at this time, 2,000 years removed from the life of your son, Jesus. Uh, Lord, that you cared about us, that you continue to care about us, is a miraculous thing and we are thankful for it. Please help us to have the same heart that you have to be able to care about those far away and at a great distance, for those coming far in the future and, and those who are yet to even be born. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart uh, for all humanity in whom you have put your likeness and whom you love. We thank you most of all and pray that you will strengthen us by the power of Jesus Christ, that we will give our lives fully over to him in all areas. He will reign supreme as the Lord in our hearts.